0: All right, so if you are following my ongoing saga of my cold slash whatever's going on in my head, which isn't a lot, uh, it's going on in my head, uh, apparently, uh, so I've been through two courses of antibiotics, they've now taken like shots of my head to see what it is, and there's nothing in there, ha ha, okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever, stop it gallery, all right, So apparently they're sending me to an an allergist because they think it's allergies. And the only thing that's different in the last like 10 to 12 weeks is my wife got a new cat. So as we start today, uh, my name is Aaron and I approve the following message. Welcome to Element. If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. Click on live. It'll bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. If you're it phone, is isn't that smart. You can actually type in 934 5, 5, or 54 5, 58 and it will actually bring us up by that and you will get the sermon notes and all those questions in there as well. couple things just to tell you about as we get going. Uh, A week from Wednesday is our agape dinner. Now, you might think, what in the world is this? Well, every year, each year we're trying to switch off. One year we do these dinners in homes, then one year we're doing them all together. This year we're all meeting together. There is no sign-ups, but it's a big potluck. And so if your last name is like A to M, you're going to bring like soup or chili or some sort of sustenance. Whatever. And if you're an N through Z, then you're going to bring like some sort of side, like salad or cookies. (coughs) Or whatever else. Cornbread to go with the chili or I don't know. I don't eat vegetables. So whatever, okay? Some type of side. Like that. Now, what we're doing for the agape is, uh, if you were here during Good Friday and you came to Good Friday service, we had a guy from Jews for Jesus. He, he grew up uh, Jewish and he became a believer and, and he's very knowledgeable. And he did this whole thing about the Passover. It was really amazing. And so we asked him to come back for the agape. And he's going to do a whole thing about the Feast of the Tabernacles. And it's going to be really interesting. So we're all going to eat. Then over dessert, he's going to do this thing as we get hopped up on sugar so we can actually listen because we're awake. It's gonna be awesome. Six PM, week from Wednesday, you should all come. No sign ups. If if this room is full, we're gonna have an over full room. It's just it's just gonna be awesome. All right. That say awesome. Totally 80s. It's going to be awesome. All right. Uh, my, my second thing is this. It, we support a couple uh, things that happen in Indonesia right now. We, we support a clean uh, water project, helping get people clean water because a billion people on this planet don't have access to clean water. We also support another guy who's kind of – he's a church planter in Indonesia. He does it very uniquely, which – I'll explain to you sometime if you want to know, but it's really neat. And we also uh, support this group, and they get wheelchairs to people in third-world countries. A lot of people in third-world countries can't get around. They're they're stuck. And so what they do is they get free wheelchairs to people in third-world countries. Now... They're the guy who kind of oversees this, he's doing a trip to Indonesia next year in August. In the next month, month and a half, they're going to have a meeting. And if you are somebody who has ever thought about maybe going on a short-term mission trip, checking something like that out, uh, there's a meeting that's going to be open to all of you who want to go. So you can go to the meeting. You don't have to decide. You have to go by going to the meeting, but it's there. So if you want to sign up in the back at the Welcome Center, put your name down. We're going to forward it over to this guy, and he'll get a hold of you and let you know when the meeting is if you guys would really want to go to Indonesia. All right? Like, where is that? That's not in America, is it? No, it's not. do not you stand with me reading the God's word? This is Titus chapter two, verses seven and eight. It says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that, an opportunity, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Let's pray. Father, I ask that we would be people who have sound speech and sound doctrine and good words that flow out of us that you have placed within us, that we would be children who model our Father. And that the world would know who you are by the way that your children live their lives and worship you and lift you up. Amen. Have a seat. This is Genesis week 41. We're actually going to move forward. Finish Genesis 25 today, I promise. I have your Bible. Open to Genesis 25. Uh, Genesis 25, we kind of hit another t- turning point in the book. You get to meet a guy named Jacob. The next chunk of Genesis spends the majority of its time on Jacob. You also get to meet his brother Esau, who only gets a couple chapters. Now, so far in Genesis, what happens is, is God creates all things. He sets his people in a unique relationship in this creation to steward it with him, to create a God-honoring culture. But instead, what we do is we think we can do it better, that we don't really need God. God's holding us back, and we willingly dis. Obey. This doesn't turn out so well for us as you can tell today because you're like, my life is hard. Yes, exactly. There you go. It doesn't work out so well for us. So what God does is he comes and he brings promises of blessings and curses. We had broken relationship with him. God came and restored relationship. Eventually you get to Genesis 12. You meet a guy named Abraham. God makes a covenant with Abraham that I'm going to turn you into a great nation. And God begins to bless him. And eventually Abraham has a son. His son's name is Isaac. Isaac has a son and his son's name is Jacob. Jacob has a son. His name is Judah. Judah has a son, a son, a son. Son eventually leads to God's son, Jesus. Now in Genesis 25 it starts with a whole lot of promise there's a legacy left by Abraham to a son who lovingly waited for his bride. When they can't have kids he doesn't bail, he doesn't go find somebody else, doesn't find a girlfriend on the side, he actually begins to pray for her. So we're going to start in verse 21 of Genesis 25 and then work our way to the end. Uh, Genesis 25 verse 21 And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Now man, I want to tell you something. You should be making a covenant in your heart that you're going to pray over your wife and your children every day in your home prayed over by you you should be seeking god on their behalf all throughout the day it says and the lord granted his prayer and rebecca his wife conceived which we looked at last week verse 22 the children struggled together within her and what you will see is these two boys they become brawling brothers they're just always wanting to fight starts in the womb continues throughout their lives they are sinners from conception now i know a lot of people are like oh no little kids they're so great yeah yeah they're also evil too little kids are just that way. Don't fool yourself. This is why you are the parent and not them. You're supposed to be smarter than they are. I know sometimes, I'm not smarter than the fifth grader, but you're supposed to be smarter than they are. Anything you tried to do as a kid, oh, I'm going to go stay at so-and-so's house, and you never actually made it to so-and-so's house, or, oh, I'm not making out with her, I promise, and you were making out with her. Anything you did as a kid, you must know is a possibility for your kids to do so you cut them off accordingly Accordingly, your kids are not perfect. They did not come out of the womb as Jesus 2.0. They have a proclivity to sin, and if you don't believe that, your kids are going to grow up in a world of hurt because you will not parent them correctly. These kids in Rebecca's womb—they're brothers, and they fight. Anybody fight with their brothers? Anybody have bigger brothers? Anybody pray, "Dear God, make me bigger so I can beat up my brother"? Yes. Yes. I'll tell you, my brother would pay me a quarter to go in the backyard and box with him when I was a kid. I'd be like, yeah, because I, I felt like he was 10 feet taller than me. He's just I'm like, yeah, boom. And I'd run into the house. I swear he's got to owe me like 10 bucks. So I never got any quarter that he said he was going to give to me. His friends, I'm two years younger. His friends were always a lot bigger than me. So when you're when you're a little kid and you're smaller than your brother and their friends, you've got to be crafty. <laughs> This is what happens to Jacob. He becomes very crafty in the text, which you'll see in a minute. But so I got to be all crafty. They all get in. They're all getting ready to go to sleep for a sleepover one night in this room. And I'm hiding in the closet. And I don't got a lot of patience, so this took a lot of effort for me. And they all get to sleep, and I pop out with a trumpet. I'm all, wham! I get about half a block before they catch me and beat me up. My brother had this friend. His name was Paul. And Paul always liked to pick on me. So one day they're hanging out and I go, Paul, you know, I heard if your hand's bigger than your face, you have cancer. And he goes, and I go, bam. (laughs) And I go running. I got out a block that time before he caught me and beat me up. Right, these kids are kind of the same way. They start to fight before they can even breathe air. And the relationship, you know, between these two boys is always going to be largely hostile. Conflict between brothers is a recurring theme throughout the scriptures, and it's always a constant reminder of the negative impact of the fall upon human existence. So it says, the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? Why? What is going on here? Now, I've heard some ladies say, oh, I just love being pregnant. You're weird, okay, as far as... But I know I haven't had kids because... I'm a dude, but, you know, to me, that just seems odd. And and you probably wouldn't say that if you you had these kids. It is so bad, she fears miscarriage, and it's so violent. There's actually the Hebrew word for this struggle. It's unique in all of Jewish literature. This word called ratzatz, and it means to thrust or crush against one another. And when she says, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? I really like the way the ESV words that, because that's literally what it says. It's like, it's very awkward, because it's written awkwardly. She's like, why then do I, am I, what ah! Ah, that's kind of exactly what she's saying it's like why did I ever desire to become pregnant if this is what it's like so she does a very good thing so she went to inquire of the Lord That's beautiful. She seeks God out. Moms, you should be praying for your kids and your family every day, seeking God on behalf of them. So she inquires of the Lord. This is Jehovah, Yahweh. She seeks the real God, not some pagan God, so you know she's a believer. Verse 23, and the Lord said to her four things. Number one, two nations are in your womb. Okay, so you're going to have twins. And two peoples from within you shall be divided. These two boys are going to be progenitors of nations. And one shall be stronger than the other. Physical strength is going to prevail on who comes out first. And the older shall serve the younger. God's choice would be the one who loses that struggle and comes out of the womb second. It's actually written like this so you would understand that it's God's election and his choice and not all the crazy stuff Jacob does throughout his life that gets him the blessing. God decides to work through the younger his choice. Verse 24, when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. Oh, who would have thought? God okay good he already said that he answers prayer now through Jacob comes the Israelites through Esau comes the Edomites and this is really interesting with Christmas just around the corner because Jacob eventually leads to Jesus Edom or uh, Esau eventually leads to Edom which is where King Herod comes from and when Jesus is born who tries to kill Jesus King Herod it's very interesting that you know, the progenitors after Esau are still trying to take out the child of the promise. This is what it says. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. That's so nice. So they called his name Esau. It's like, oh, that's so cute. You just gave birth to Elmo. I like red. Okay afterward his brother came out with his hand holding esau's heel so he's fighting for dominance he's holding on so his name was called jacob he's like hanging on to his brother his brother's going out of the womb he's like oh no you don't i'm coming too gets up that's my i don't know if that's what it sounds like i haven't had a kid so you know whatever Now, Jacob, it means trickster or grabbed by the heel. A euphemism at this time was somebody grasped by the heel. What it meant is that they were a deceiver. And what you see throughout Jacob's life is that's who he becomes. It says Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So how old was he when they got married? 40, if you're here, 40 years old. And so now he's 60. How many years did he pray for these boys? 20 he prays it in he didn't do it like his mom and his dad verse 27 when the boys grew up Esau was a skillful hunter a man of the field Esau is like a man's man he's he's like a dude he comes out of the womb with a mustache he is the kid in junior high that actually has to shave and doesn't just say he has to shave it's in, it's in the very chauvinistic term the scripture is trying to tell you this. You know this is the, the dichotomy between what is what God makes into a man and what we think of a man. This is a dichotomy in the scriptures here. This is very chauvinistic. You know he's big, he's hairy. He's like the guy at the beach. that takes off his shirt, and you can't really tell he took off his shirt. That's Esau. He likes to hunt. He likes to eat what he killed. He goes from being a cute Elmo to a big red Chewbacca. <laughs> Seriously, kill it, grill it, eat it, that's, that's him. Drives a truck, hairy back, boots, cigars, he's a man. Esau. Well, Jacob was a different story. Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. So he drank herbal tea, he listened to boy bands. Anybody? Well, that's my brother, he likes chick-licks, right? That's, that's Jacob. You know, he likes Christina Aguilera, drives VW Rabbit. Smooth skin right doesn't want to work hard gets pedicures and i gotta tell you guys you should get a pedicure because they are awesome you want your wife to think you're just cool take her to get a pedicure and sit there through it be like oh this is horrible but you're gonna love it because it's awesome they rub your feet i paint your toenails i don't if your wife thinks it's cool do i when i do i actually go to pedicure with my wife and they paint my toenails and she thinks it's cool so i'm like all right i'm good i'm good but, but Jacob's a different story. At this point in his life, he you know, probably goes shopping with his mom and, and enjoys it. Listens to soft rock ballads, probably has feathered hair or something like that. It says, Isaac, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Oh, venison and stew and chili and oh, it's too stinky. Not for a man. Esau. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Oh, he's a nice boy. He's so cute. It's so wonderful. It's good for boys to be friends with their mom and love their mom but not be their best friend. And that's, going to, you know, if that's you, get a bacon air freshener, stick it in your VW Rabbit, you'll be better off. Okay. Now you got to know this is all going somewhere that's not that good, right? Right, because you've got all these problems. So God's decree is that Jacob is going to be greater than Esau. We don't know why God determined it, but he'd set it up that way, that Jacob is going to be a patriarch of the Hebrew people. It's his decision. So what happens now is Isaac begins to respond in his life like people who disagree with God, especially parents. He ignores him. I know how God told me to raise my kids, but I'm not going to listen because I don't like that. He ignores God. Again, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Isaac loves Esau he wants the promise that God made to go to his son Esau he wants this promise reversed he wants Esau to get the blessing and not Jacob and Isaac will you'll see throughout the text in the next few weeks does everything he can to bring the promise to his boy and it's not because Isaac hated God it's not because he was evil it's because he loved his son and fathers will do almost anything for their sons but his son becomes his focus and when his son became his focus he lost sight of God in the process. Because even something as noble as loving when you love, the wrong thing with full devotion can bring about drastic consequences. And so Isaac and Rebecca's love for God should have brought them together. Instead, their love for their kids, which were each for a different kid, actually divided them. It pulled them apart. And think of how much better, as you go through these stories over the next few weeks, how much better it would have been if they would have sought God first. Now, don't raise your hand for this. I'm just going to ask you a question. Just answer it in your head. Who here is a Christian? Who believes in Jesus? Now, I'm not saying I go to church, uh, I believe in God, I was born in America, I've killed demons on a video game, none of that. I'm actually asking, you know, who have bowed your knee to Jesus Christ, you submitted to His will in your life as your King and your Savior and your Lord? If that is you, then what follows next is important for all of us. So... Here we go. We're going to start in verse 27 and walk back through it. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. These are the words, la at odam, la at odam. The NIV and the ESV both tone this down a little bit, and he says, I'm exhausted. This is literally, I'm starving, I'm whittling away. Wah! One commentator says, I want the red stuff, give me the red stuff. He's freaking out, he's going crazy. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore today. It says, therefore, his name was called Edom. Now, Adam means red, Dom means blood, Adam means ground. When Adam was named, it was to remind him what he was made from. You are made from the red earth, from the red clay. It's like you're a dirt clod. God has breathed life into you. He's given you grace and goodness, but you need to remember where you come from and stay humble. So the idea that Edom comes from this red, he's covered in red fur. Red symbolizes blood. Ancients believe that there is life and power in blood. Like you get stabbed and you bleed and too much of your red stuff comes out, what happens? You die. See, it's still true today, right? Your red stuff pours out, you die. It's not a good thing. And so they, they believe that this blood had these life-giving properties. So when he runs in and he says, give me the red stuff, the red stuff, it, it's like it's red, it must have some powers in it. There must be some reason God chose you instead of me. And so this is Jacob's response. Uh, Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. It's like, Okay, the kid's got some major character defects, okay? You know that just from the text. Give me your birthright, I will give you lunch. You know, that's, that's how this works. Jacob knows who God is. He knows what God has said. But it's a very, very, very long way to go. And you'll see this over the next couple months as you walk through his life. Esau said, I am about to die. It's an exaggeration. Of what use is a birthright to me? So Jacob said, Swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. Mmm, so yummy. Lentil stew, it's like bubble gum and ice cream and coffee. Ooh, it's so good. Lentil stew is horrid. It's terrible. I, unless you're weird like my wife who likes lentil stew, lentil stew is just Terrible. Terrible. And he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So if he said, What's the big deal? Despise his birthright? That's a little strong. Well that's because we don't understand birthright. This is an ancient nomadic culture, and you and your tribe live in tents with your cousins and and everybody else. It's like a big, bad family reunion, and you can't get away from it. You're just stuck together all the time. You always are living near each other, The populations smaller. So who's going to carry on your family line? Who's going to carry on the name? Who is responsible for the survival of your family? It's nobility. Who gets to make decisions about how your family is going to be perceived and known by the world? Who gets to say what takes place while you guys are all gathered like this? The person with the birthright. That's who. Firstly, your birthright is something your entire family stands for. If the person carrying the birthright does something stupid or shameful, it affects the entire family tree. Uncles, cousins, parents, siblings, grandmothers, grandfathers. Secondly, your birthright entitled you to a double portion of your father's inheritance. So Isaac has all of Abraham's stuff. That's huge. That's huge. And thirdly, it's spiritual. You are carrying on your family's connection with God. You are your family's priest. Here to lead them and show them who God is and what proper worship is. Birthright is your destiny. It's like a king who has a son, you know, it's, it's a prince, and the prince says, oh, it just doesn't really matter uh, what, you know who my dad was. Th- that's what it's like. People who would read this in an ancient Hebrew culture would be shocked that anybody would sell their destiny for a bowl of red stuff. Now, to put it in a way we can understand today, he trades everything he could be for a momentary satisfaction. Again, I'm so glad we don't live like that anymore, right? I mean, seriously. How many times do you read about people throwing their lives away for momentary pleasures? You got baseball players who want to hit one more yard, so they dope up. Olympians who dope up just to maybe get fourth or maybe a bronze. You know, you look at Lance Armstrong, loses all of his medals and all and all that stuff. You get people who get caught with pornography, and it destroys their home or destroys their workplace. Pastors get busted all the time for stupid things. You got people who go on a diet and in the middle of the night. You wake up, and it's like, oh, just one cookie or one or one potato chip, and in the end, the whole bag Bags has gone and you feel terrible because it's just lentil stew it's all esau and momentary pleasures i mean the question for us becomes when's the last time you gave in and failed for a momentary pleasure when it's all temporary you know when people ask this stupid question when people die they say well, i wonder how much they left behind really everything okay you leave everything behind when you go everybody leaves it all when we trade our lives for momentary satisfaction, it has the potential for the exact same thing, living everything behind for a stupid act. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story about this guy. He builds bigger and bigger and bigger barns. We're actually going to look at that in a couple of months in regards to one of the characters in Genesis. But in this, Jesus draws the distinction between what is temporary and then what is eternal. And Jesus basically says, so it is for everyone who accumulates riches for themselves but are not rich towards God. The object of life, according to Jesus, is breathtakingly simple. You become rich towards God. Your life in Christ becomes a great source of pleasure to who God is, and then God bestows on his people great joy. We do not simply live from one momentary pleasure to the next. Not that there's anything wrong with stuff. God gives us stuff. He allows us to enjoy it. When stuff becomes your focus, that's when you fall short. Now, a while ago, a couple years ago, I had nose surgery. When I was 18 years old, I was playing water polo. I got smacked in the face, and my nose kind of grew up all crooked in here, so they, they fixed it. And when it came out of surgery, I was in a lot of pain. And I'm like, ah, oh. nurse goes, you in pain? And I'm like, Ugh. I'm in pain? Why do I look like this? You know, my eyes are black and blue. And she goes, well, I'll help you. So she puts this thing in my IV, and she goes, you're going to fill this really fast. And she goes, Pfft. And, like, instantly the pain is gone. She goes, now, it's going to come back in, like, 15 minutes because it's very short-lived. And I go, okay, I'm great, right, because I didn't really care at that point. Fifteen minutes later, I'm in the same world of hurt again. And she actually told me later, this nurse, she said, this is the kind of drug that a lot of people seek in the hospital because it hits you really fast, but it's momentary, and it goes away. And I think, you now I left that thing, and this is how a lot of us live our lives. We just want that thing it's going to make us feel better right now. And yet 15 minutes, 15 days, you know, a couple months later, we're back at war, and we feel worse than ever. So what does it mean for you and I as a people to have this birthright? One, in Christianity, in Scripture... If you're part of God's family, this means you're one of God's sons or daughters who have given you a birthright. It is who you are. You have a birthright. We've been given great freedom by God, but that freedom comes with some responsibilities. And for some reason, we're always trying to settle for less than what God has to offer, constantly. This is all through the scriptures. In, in Exodus, you get to Moses, who's like one of the great people of the faith. Moses. God says, Moses, you're going to go, you're going to set my people free. Moses is like, oh, he's like I'm going to give you power and strength, and you're going to do signs and wonders. You even got that stick. Throw that stick on the ground. It's going to become a snake. It's going to be spooky, but it's going to be awesome. And what does Moses respond like? Well, I don't really talk that good. I've got a C minus in speech. That's how he responds. God goes to a guy named Gideon. My people are oppressed. Gideon, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to give you power and strength, and you're going to go, and you're going to pull these people out of this oppression. It's going to be awesome. What does Gideon say? Uh, I'm, I'm too small. I don't think I can do it. You get to a guy named Jeremiah, you know, writes one of the longest books in the Old Testament, right? And God goes, Jeremiah, you're going to be my spokesman to my people. You're going to give them my words. It's going to be amazing. What's Jeremiah's response? "Uh, I think I'm too young. It seems like every time God tries to give us something, we're always trying to settle for less than he has to offer. And that seems so true of us. In a real sense, you know, we have this faith in God. But I'll tell you, God actually has faith in us because he's given us a birthright, what he created us to be. Throughout Scripture, God constantly invites people into their destiny, and so many people refuse because we have excuses. Esau, by trading his birthright, is like us and giving up or making excuses for the destiny God has called us to. We're called to be a light to the world. Why? Because people are lost in darkness, and God's going to use us. We are supposed to be leading people, but what way are we leading them when we give up our birthright for momentary pleasures? It's a rabbi. His name is Rabbi Habachiah. I know it sounds like you're going to grill something on it, but his name is Rabbi Habachiah. This is what he writes. For what did he, Esau, give up his birthright? A pile of beans. Now, rabbis refer to this as being blasphemous, it was terrible. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, see to it that no one is godless like Esau, unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single pile of beans, for a single meal. It says, for you know that afterward he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, the word unholy, it means godless. It's where we get the word profane today from. The, the word profane in Greek is this word babylose and it literally means in its roots to cross the threshold. Something that's supposed to be set apart for God's purposes we use for common purposes. I talked about this a couple of years ago. I'll give you a brief recap. You would have the common place that people would live their lives and then God would come and God would say build me a temple and so you're going to have a place that's different than other space. There's a space where you live your life which is the common then there's this place where God is and dwells and it's sacred. It's apart from the ordinary average every day. This place is holy and even in this place there's gradients of holy. There's like the holy place and the holier place and the most holy place the holy of holies and there's two realms that are distinguished between the common and the sacred and to take something that was you know that was sacred and cross the threshold and treat it as common was considered profanity you would profane it something that was used to show god's glory and kicking around for something else was profaning that as an example sexuality, okay? Something that God created as sacred and we treat it like an everyday thing. Take something God reserved for this sanctity and this place of marriage and we simply kick it around in the dirt with no commitment attached to it, profanes it. Uh, God has given us uh, words and the ability to speak things to people and yet we take this great gift he's given of communication and we tear people down and we gossip behind their back, that profanes it. God has given us hands. We're supposed to use these hands to help and build and lift each other up and sometimes we use those hands to destroy people. And that profanes it. It is taking your birthright and trading it for lentil stew. It's profanity. Esau was considered godless because he lived as if his calling or his destiny didn't matter. He lives as if there's no God. He lives from urge to urge. There's nothing higher to live for. Now open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll show you how the first believers kind of looked at this and what they understood about it. And this is, what you have to understand is in this culture, you had people and they would, they would, whether they were believers or not, you know, believed in anything or not, they would all go to temples to worship something. Some would worship sex, some would worship capricious gods, but the, everybody would go to a temple and attend temple worship services. And so this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16. Just very briefly, he says this. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, when we take our lives and we live as if nothing matters, we live as if God has not called us to a higher purpose, we have no accountability to a higher purpose, we are profaning what God has called us to. What Paul is telling these people, yes you go and worship in all these temples but now if you're a Christian you are the temple of God. You are that. God is actually willing to reside inside of you. This means that God has not just stayed in this sacred holy space the curtain has been torn. God has gone out to the entire world and he makes his people holy people. He gives them all a birthright. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Does that not make you think a little different about how you of your life of how we're supposed to be and the second we begin to feel like what we do with our life is no big deal we become like Esau and we despise our birthright Esau runs in I just want the red stuff the red stuff he thinks he wants I, need, I just need this so bad it's going to make me feel all better it says then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew oh yummy and it seemed like oh this will meet all my needs right now he's lacking something and then he gets it and for, for a few minutes he feels better and then it's gone and then it's gone I think it's like a girl who has a boyfriend who's pressuring her to have sex and she finally gives in because it's so important then after it's over she's more lonely than ever because it's just lentil stew it's a married couple who fight and fight and fight and they both think they're so right they both pick sides and one day it all falls apart and they're both left alone they realize that all their fights were just lentil stew It's like a person who spends their entire life trying to make a little more money while they neglect eternal things that God has called us to, their their family. And they look back and they realize it was all just lentil stew. It's like a person who thinks they have no need for God, who longs to redeem them. And they spend their lifetime preoccupied with their self and under death, but they look back at their life and they realize it was just lentil stew. See, we are like Esau because we crave and we think that all these things are going to fulfill us. And they don't. And we sit and we eat and we eat and we eat thinking our cravings are going to go away. And for some reason, we just become hungrier than ever. We must wake up and we must understand that everything that is not Jesus is just lentils. We must understand that God has given you and I a birthright. And God has said, do not give this up. Do not give it up. You need to live your destiny as a child of God. Do not accept anything less than Jesus in your life. And the problem is, if you're like me, it's that we give in way too easy. Way too easy. We think we're hungrier than we are. We think God doesn't really satisfy. And yet He really does. And we must trust Him because He has entrusted us with this birthright. He believes in us enough to give it to us, to call us a temple of the Holy Spirit, to actually give us His Spirit to reside within us so we have the strength and the power to live the birthright and the destiny that He calls us to, to. So I would... Guys, do not sell the birthright or yourself short because God hasn't. God thought it was so important that he would send his son to come and live and die and rise from the dead so this birthright can become real to you, that birthright. This is why we celebrate communion every week. It's a reminder of that birthright. It's why you take that cracker like his body was broken for us and you break it. It's why you dip it in the wine of the grapes. It's reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we can be a people who experience the reality of this birthright, this destiny that we were called to, and then we can actually have the strength to live the life he calls us to live. It is simply amazing. The band's going to come up. And as they do, they'll do a couple songs, and I invite you to take communion. If you need prayer, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you have never stepped into the birthright that God has given you, if you have never trusted him with your life, I would encourage you to go and pray with them. You know, today, there is no better day than to step into your destiny and your birthright than today. There are offering boxes in the sidewall in on the back, and we give because God gave so much to us, and giving is simply part of that worship. There's some food in the back. We invite you guys to get to know each other and connect to each other because when you connect to each other, that's also part of the birthright God has given us. It gives us the ability to not only establish a relationship with God again, but also each other. This is the beauty of what God has done for his people. It is grace. It is love. It is mercy. It is justice. It is righteousness. It is all of these things. Then our God is so good. I mean, if, if you had kids who acted like most of the people in the scriptures, you'd be like, I don't want to give you the birthright because you're just going to jack it all up and no one's going to know who you know, your parents raised you to be because you're crazy. But God continually comes and redeems and gives that birthright to all of us as his children. Because he is a God who walked through it just like we did. He understands all of our struggles and he knows in his strength we can actually do what he calls us to do and be who he calls us to be. Because he has already lived it and paid it and given us the strength to do it. Our God is good and we need to live in that. Why don't you guys pray with me. Part of this morning, I ask that you would give us great strength to understand the birthright that you have bestowed upon us as your people that you would teach us to live for the reality of you. Father, we all know that in our lives, there are things that are just lentil stew that we continually chase after and run after thinking that it's going to satisfy us. And every time we eat it, it never satisfies. The feelings we think we get from it, Go away. And yet for some reason, we continue to run after it, knowing full well what it does to us. And quite frankly, knowing full well what it does to our relationship with you. And how your heart is grieved when your people settle for so much less than you have to offer. And so today I ask that we would understand what you have given us. And we would step into it, and truly trust you. Father, we would understand that much of our lives are like how Jacob's life turns out. That he keeps going after stupid things, and yet you, through the course of his life, continue to bring him back, where on his last days, he is preaching your gospel and talking about who you are to everyone who will listen. And I ask that that be true for us. But hopefully we would learn it a lot quicker than he does. And that we would live lives who speak fully of you and your goodness spreads, And we would bow our hearts and bend our knees to worship you as our great God in all that we do. We ask these things in your son's good name. Amen.